Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So I remember about three years ago, two, three years ago, there was a report by RBC about net zero in 2050. And I spoke with the senior vice president of RBC on the, on the air. And I don't remember the details of the report, but I do remember one sentence. And I asked about that sentence. And the sentence read, Canadians are going to have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that got my attention. Canadians are going to have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I needed a definition, and I didn't get one. Maybe it was just an overall descriptor. Chris Sankey joins us again. His National Post op-ed, Liberals' Net Zero Agenda is a plan to kill the economy. Chris, Canadians are going to have to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's what you're writing about, isn't it? Yeah. First, thanks for having me. Um, it's, uh, it's It's been very uncomfortable for many people, not just uh, your average Canadian, but it's also been very uncomfortable for Indigenous communities and, and people of colour. The Black and people of colour in Indigenous communities are also suffering from... This, uh, this green initiative that the federal governments are pushing. Yeah. Can we just, uh, can I just break it down a little bit based on your op-ed? Sure. Uh, because you say, you're right uh, in part, you're right. The federal government is pushing an aggressive emissions reduction strategy that could devastate the Canadian economy and threaten our way of life. This isn't just about oil and gas industry, port-related industries, transportation, infrastructure, health and education, and countless other sectors will be collateral damage as well the standard of living of everyday Canadians. And here's, uh, let me just ask you to expand on this. You're right. It isn't even clear the government's green agenda will do much of anything to lower the uh, emissions. And then you write about having the chance to listen to Adam Waterus, the CEO of the Waterus Energy Fund and former global head of invest, investment banking at Scotia Waterus. What did you find out, particularly, about, what did he say, and particularly what did he say about EVs? Well, he made it very clear that uh, every time a EV is produced, Canada is increasing oil demand by five times the amount than it would be of a regular conventional gas car. And it's very, it was very eye-opening to me. And this individual lives and breathes energy. I mean, he was. I could have listened to him all day about what needed to happen. It's completely contrary to what's being pushed at the federal level. I, these policies make zero sense to me. And then I listen to a guy like Adam, and not just Adam, a number of individuals in that live energy. And everything that is coming out of Ottawa doesn't make any sense to me. And further to that, no one's ever met those targets or any of the targets. I, I mean, I, I stress it in the op-ed that we need to be responsible about this. What we're currently doing right now is pushing people into energy poverty. Mm-hmm. And what's what's frustrating for people like myself and others um, in small small town Canada and in our indigenous communities is that we're producing and working with a lot of the most responsible companies on the planet. And if, if anybody wants to talk about emissions, uh, individuals living downtown Toronto and Vancouver and all these major cities need to take a long look in the mirror and realize that you're the biggest em- omitters. 
Yeah, you know what I found really particularly interesting and, and compelling was, and I, I have a couple of friends who have EVs and they swear by them. They love them. They say, look, like I'm helping the environment. You, you're right that, uh, that uh, Adam Waterer said it takes five times the amount of oil to build an EV than it does to build a conventional gas-powered vehicle. And in order to offset this difference, a person must drive an EV 120,000 kilometers using the electrical grid, meaning every time we build an EV, demand for, as you just said, the demand for oil goes up, not down. Absolutely. And that's right. You have to drive like virtually every day to be to have the carbon offset, uh, according to Watchers, right? And I'm, I, I just don't get it. I um, You know, I, I, I'm in the energy business. Right. If you're in the energy business, you're, you, you get an opportunity to be in front of some of the most brightest minds on the planet. I'll, I'll continue to say that. But what dumbfounds me is that people are, are pushing for this green initiative. What they don't understand is that we are, first of all, going to carve away thousands of miles of football fields to get to a mineral that everybody's claiming to be green, which is the battery, all the, all the components of a battery, lithium, cobalt, but they have a problem with a pipe that's a diameter of maybe anywhere from 40 inches to eight inches, covered and not only covered by the land to which we all walk on, but the remediation process is, is incredible. You would never know you are walking above Thousands of pipelines in this country that keeps us functioning. But you want to dig up massive amounts of football field lengths to get these minerals. And further to that, realize that you're going to be actually increasing the demand for oil and gas just to get and accommodate those who, who profess to think that these green initiatives are really green. You know, Chris, I've often said you can't outthink those who aren't thinking. You know, it's, uh, they always say, you know, I, I, my, I remember my 85-year-old uncle, who you know, he, loved, he, he lived and breathed fishing, right? And he talks about how much gas and oil they use because he was still around when this initiative was happening. And he just said, don't argue with people that are not bringing common sense to the table. Mm-hmm. In other words, don't argue with stupid people. You'll, after a while, you won't know who's stupid. Well, they'll beat you with experience. Absolutely. Right. And I'm not, I mean, it's just extremely frustrating to me. And, and what also frustrates a lot of Indigenous communities, I actually just was speaking to one of our elected councillors yesterday. You have these Indigenous groups in Toronto and Vancouver that are a part of these urban uh, non-government organizations that continue to meet with the federal government and try to portray that indigenous communities are against oil and gas. That is emphatically untrue. The vast majority of the polls we took was up to 70%. Even when we did our PNW uh, LNG um, uh, debate and we talked about who was in favor and who was not, we had 20% uh, we had 70% around there, and then 20% was undecided, or 15% was undecided. I think it was 3% didn't vote, and only between four, I think around 4% said no. Mm-hmm. But the media portrayed it as if we were against all of this stuff. That is not true. And when you go, when you come out to Western Canada, you will see 
you'll see anywhere anything to do with mining, oil and gas development and extraction, the vast majority, a good portion of the contractors on site are indigenous owned and operated, whether it be private or community. And then the spin-off jobs from that, from the retail sector through the restaurants. I mean, everything we use, everything we touch and use from clothing to medical supplies to facilities to infrastructure to transportation, air, land, and sea requires a significant amount of hydrocarbons. Yeah. And when people try to portray or try to claim we're moving away from fossil fuels, that's never going to happen. And everybody keeps trying to say, well, not in my life. No, it's actually never going to happen. So, so Chris, let me just, let me just focus on something that you have in this op-ed. Because, you know, we, we're on the air on th- three radio stations in um, the British Columbia. Kamloops, um, Kelowna, and Vancouver. The BC, this is what you wrote. The BC provincial government is forging ahead with a set of policies that, as the Business Council of British Columbia put it, its own modeling shows will make BC's economy $28 billion smaller in 2030 than it would be absent these policies. This will set prosperity back more than a decade. This remarkable finding emerges from looking beyond glossy government reports to the raw modeling results of the estimated economic impact of clean BC policies that are studiously ignored in its public communications material. So by 2030, the BC economy, uh, if I'm understanding correctly, is going to take a $28 billion hit. 100%. And where are we going to make up for that shortfall? There, you know, what's happening is here where the middle class is getting taxed to death uh, to make up for this shortfall. What people don't understand is right now, the province of Alberta is looking to pull their contribution to the CPP. That's an $850 billion contribution to the Canadian CPP. And it, it kind of dumbfounds me that people don't understand. When you take a look at what's helping many of our Canadians, fellow Canadians retire, have a nice, comfortable life after they've taught, whether they're teaching or if they are CMP or they're a government employee, the vast majority of those revenues are coming from energy pipelines. It's coming from oil and gas and propane. It's a number of things that contribute to increasing so many of our retirement packages that require billions of dollars of money to reinvest so that our fellow Canadians could retire comfortably after working 50 plus years and working themselves to the bone. Where else are you going to make up for that shortfall? I I don't know because it, it economically just, you know, I'm not a, I'm not an economist. I'm not an energy expert, but it makes sense to me that we have the natural resources of the world needs and wants. That's why the chancellor of Germany came to Canada. That's why the prime minister of Japan came to Canada. They didn't came, come here to get patted on the back and sent home and be told there was no business case for what they wanted, which was liquid natural gas. You're right here. Quoting you again, Canada is about to enter a world of self-inflicted economic pain at precisely the time, and you spoke about this a minute ago, that indigenous communities are finally starting to harness their resource wealth. We finally made it to the corporate table where we have a seat, a say, and ownership, and now the federal government wants to take it all away. How's that for bad timing? And yet they tell you they're doing all they can and taking care of their responsibilities when it comes to First Nations. 
Look, I, you, what I when I hear them talk about how that the indigenous file is the most important relationship to this government, yet just this past week, the Senate was about to hear from indigenous leaders from the Inuit, the Métis, and indigenous groups in Canada on how the carbon tax is killing their communities, and the Senate shut it down. How is that supposed to justify? their quotes about making sure that indigenous priorities are number one in this country mm-hmm. when they won't hear from the grassroots people themselves of the devastation that we're being faced. I, I ran to ran into an old friend of mine just yesterday and he's about a two, two years older him and his wife are living in a tent behind a gas station because they cannot find a place they could afford. Yeah, we're hearing about that more and more and, and, and more. And, yeah, and that, winter's on the corner, that, on the corner. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's just devastating for me to yeah. see and hear. And yeah. I, so I, I gave him some money. And I, I'm trying to, I'm, I mean, I'm not even a part of the government. And I'm calling up people, advocacy groups, uh, anything I can do to help. Right. Not just him, but there's so many of these stories that are happening in our backyard. And how could you say as a Canadian we're doing justice to the indigenous population or try to help the middle class or the working poor when the working poor have become poorer. Yeah. Chris, you and I are going to have to pick this up again, uh, but we will. And then your op-ed in the National Post is liberal net zero agenda is a plan to kill the economy. I do appreciate it. It's the first time we've had a chance to talk and I do appreciate it. Thank you so very much. Absolutely. Listen, what's going to change the outcome of this is technology with the energy sector, with the plan to manage and mitigate and eliminate bad, harmful emissions. That's how we win this game. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 